This is Big Red Potion. And as always, I'm joined by the man who puts the sex into Deus Ex, Joe Delia. Joe, always a pleasure, and how have you been? I don't know how to respond to that, but I am doing pretty well. How about yourself, sir? I'm doing pretty well. I had to get you back for last week and uh, ass and mass effect, <laughs> which was... I don't know what you're talking about. ...incredibly rude. Anyway, uh, look, look, let's leave that for another time. Let's get on to our guests. So, our first guest has already earned a reputation for thoughtful, dependable, and honest technology and video game journalism. And yes, he's willing to risk it all by coming back onto this show. It's uh, Jared Newman, writer for Technologizer, PC World, and editor of GameCrave. Jared, welcome back. Thank you. It's good to be here. Fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, a little late night, but I'm, I'm ready to go. Very, very cool. And, okay, on to our second guest. He's one of the co-hosts and producer of the Super Happy Fun Time show. It is, of course, Chris O'Regan, a.k.a. Kropotkin. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. How the hell are you doing? Glad to be here. I'm, I'm good. It's nice, you know, Sunday afternoon. Yes. That sort of thing. It's getting cold, though, isn't it? But, you know, we British, we could talk about the weather all day. Yeah. Let's do that. No. We can save that for our, our side podcast. We'll do that in the, in the surplus show this week, I think. Yeah, I think we'll leave Ooh. it at that. Fantastic. Our obsession with weather is un, you know, is true, because it, it changes all the time. There I go, see, look. <laughs> right, stop, stop, let's go, show. <laughs> Games discourse. Okay, so uh, this is the start of Season 7 at Big Red Potion, and uh, that might be news to a lot of people since I haven't actually disclosed that we had seasons on the show until now. But uh, So if you want to find more about that, check out our site, bigredpotion.com. Anyway, what, the point I'm bringing up by mentioning that is that with this season of shows, we're going to try and introduce really specific questions with our discussions. So... Uh, well, just to say that does kind of risk our guests just going yes or no off the bat, so I, I should kind of say that from the off. Uh, guys, let's let's not just say yes or no to this question. But uh, anyway, let, on to this week's question, and it is social networking, internet-based games discussion, and the increased number of games released each year. Have all of these things now segregated the enthusiast gamer from the mainstream non-enthusiast gamer beyond reach? In short, has gaming changed so much on the back of the internet that enthusiast and non-enthusiast gamers have been segregated beyond? Now, before we get into that, I think, because that's a, that's a meaty question with a lot of different facets, uh, I'm going to throw out a opening touchdown for us. And I think a good place to start all of this is to consider Uncharted 2's Twitter updates. Um, for those who don't know, uh, the upcoming PS3 game Uncharted 2 is going to automatically update its players' Twitter accounts on their progress through the game. Now, I know all four of us here use Twitter. Has anyone been following any of the uh, high-profile games reviewers who have been progressing frequently through the game? Just as a point... Not anymore. Not anymore. Um, just as a point of correction, they've removed this they feature have. from well, the I th game. I think they're going to change it. Um, yes. They're going to edit it to make it less frequent. Oh, okay. Well, I, I certainly followed a few and look at it as like, I don't care. I really don't care. What many points you scored and what level of Uncharted 2? I was seething actually. So yeah, it's a bit, it's Absolutely. a bit intrusive. Um, I mean, I, I was following Jeff Keighley of Games Trailers, and he in one day, I think, completed the game. So over the course of seven hours, 
he updated his Twitter 14 times to say he'd gone through all 14 chapters or whatever the game. And it was just, no, I'm not, I, like, like you, Chris, I, just, I don't care. I really don't care. Well, here's, here's the thing. Um, Twitter itself, like, you know, it one of those main things that you hear is, like, we don't care what you ate for breakfast, you know? We don't actually care what you're doing. That's that's sort of what they advertise it as to start, but people don't really care about the minutia of, of people's daily lives, and that's what these video game updates are. They're just telling you what somebody's you know what somebody has accomplished in the game, and like like Chris said, nobody really cares about that. It's yeah, it's self defeating. It's just so intrusive. And like, look, I'm playing this game. Well, another thing I've found rather vexing about it was the fact that he's playing a game that most of us mortals won't be able to play for another. Two or three weeks or so. Was that that had those who had me my teeth gnashing a bit? Like, stop gloating. Does it make you feel any? Does it make you feel better? Really, really? It's just you know that's 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 when I first saw it. I thought he actually wrote it, but I suspect he doesn't write any of these Twitter things. But he, I thought he actually wrote that. I thought you really wrote that? You actually wrote down the score? I didn't know. And then then it turned out to be coming out every every you know twenty seconds. Like, ah, oh, I gotcha. That that would be entirely worse, wouldn't it, if he actually wrote? every single chapter on his own sort of manual accord that that would make me possibly dislike him beyond r- repair <laughs> <laughs> and the nature of the, the the nature of the tweets themselves are just pretty pretty basic right they're just like i just beat chapter you know one or whatever it's not actually telling you what you'll do in the game i, I think it might be more interesting if people heard about the kinds of things that you would experience in the game you know i've i've tweeted myself about you know, kinds of things that you might might go through in one game or another, but then that constitutes a spoiler. So you have you have questions around that. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly, I don't really see where the decision came from to put this in because it's spam. Right? Yeah. that's all it is. It's, it's <laughs> the same thing as if someone named Tatiana Booty was sending you random Twitter <laughs> messages about stuff. It's you know, it's like literally, it's spam. It's stuff that no one likes to get. Yet now they're they're putting it into a game that's going to sell probably two million copies with you know two million people on Twitter doing the same shit that that Jeff and uh, Brian Crescente have been doing over the past week, and it's, it's going to drive people crazy. It's going to make people hate Uncharted 2 without even playing it. I just, I just think it was a wise decision that someone woke up and said, we need to change this, we need to fix this, or we need to remove it. It was a, a you know, social networking, trying to install it into, I mean, Twitter is a very odd beast that people still haven't quite mastered, and in four of us, um, I can speak for myself, maybe, but I don't think I've quite mastered it. I do my best. I certainly don't sort of spam and that sort of thing, but it's it's difficult because the amount of times I've started typing out a, a message going, do people really want to know that? Mm. <laughs> and I've found myself just yeah. retreating, like I'm not doing this. No yeah. one needs to know about. My it. updates are my updates are consistently horrible. So. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're consistent. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think no. we're drifting. Please continue. I, I, I'm just going to say I, I'm certainly guilty of all those crimes. I mean there. So many tweets I've typed and then instantly deleted just because they're ridiculous. And I think it is that it is very new. At the same time, it's it's kind of like a summation of where we've come with the internet, you know, just through Facebook and MySpace. And can we blogging. go back further than that, if I may? Because I've been online since what 1995. I think I've been online since then. And that the back then there was no instant messaging. Okay. It was just email and IRC and... Um, Bit of AOL uh, chat as well. And Yeah, and Usenet and that sort of thing. That, that's, that's all it used to be. 
I do remember distinctly the day when ICQ came into being. Remember that? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> uh, from some obscure Israeli developer who made this thing called ICQ, and someone told me about it, and they said, you, we should use this. I was playing Ultima Online at the time. And I think, you know, the fact I was, I was stunned that someone could send messages to me whilst I was playing the game on a separate s- system, and it was all like... And I think, personally, I may be completely wrong, but I do think that was the start of it, that interconnectivity beyond just the standard, like, passive email sort of thing. It was now instantaneous chatting, sending links, files, you name it, all of a sudden on your desktop. And I think that's what changed it all, personally. And then that led, ineffably, you know, then led on to things like Facebook and MySpace and, and now Twitter. Yeah, I, I can remember using ICQ and certainly, like, it then not not having any clue that this is where we would end up with it. Um, but, yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that to some respect. I, I mean, I guess the question that maybe some of our listeners are saying out loud now is, how is this at all relevant to gaming? And I guess that's a good starting point, really. I mean, because mm-hmm. okay. for me, my, my personal view on it is that because as gamers we are generally more technologically savvy and more interconnected by default, like, just because you know a lot of gaming is internet-based uh, nowadays, that sure. we are more we utilise the internet and social networking more than maybe other communities and enthusiast groups. I mean, would that be fair to say? I think so. Um, yeah, for the most part, the thing is that it's it's like you know the internet is great at developing these sort of niche communities, and enthusiast gamers are a niche community. You know, I can't I can't have a conversation with most people about the you know the minute details of one game or another. Uh, we just talked about general obsession with video games. That it doesn't exist. Um, but there's no shortage of that online. It's a perfect example of how it's relevant to gaming. I think we're straddling into possibly other parts of this conversation. I'm looking at a list of the stuff we're going to be talking about. and I, do, I am convinced of the fact that the audience that we, your, your podcast serves, Super Happy Fun Time Show serves, and websites, what have you, is extremely finite. It, it is, I think it's quite narrow. I think it measures in the hundreds of thousands, if we're lucky. And I do think that there's, uh, there might be to a point where there is a group of about 60, 70,000, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that now. I think the number is growing. But the people who frequent NeoGAF, the people who frequent the usual spots that we, you know, I've mentioned NeoGAF because that's kind of all roads lead to it, whether we like it or not. And the same names keep on popping up in all these forums and places. Like, they, oh, I saw him there. I saw it. Just, and it's just, just the same wash of audience. And they, these are the people who do go on about cover art to Ico, for example, or something like that. Or they'll, 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 they'll go into great detail about the turret uh, missions in various games and why that one was okay and why that one was terrible and that sort of thing, or why you shouldn't have turret missions in games at all. Um, just I'm plucking out of thin air. Those sort of people, that will, that's like us, you know, we're, and we will talk about that for hours on end, sadly, some would say. But it's to reach those people that do play video games on occasion, or play one or two video games, or buy one or two video games a year, and that's fine. It's those people that I don't think are really catered for by the enthusiast press. And we need to reach them somehow. But that's anyway. an, it's an- Interesting point. I mean, I, I'm particularly interested by the number that you, that you admittedly, you said you plucked out of thin air. Are you arguing maybe that 
the people like us who are plugged in really to the internet, to forums, like you said, NeoGAF, uh, RLMUK, and things like that, is that actually maybe too small to be what we would consider the enthusiast community of gamers? Is, are we maybe only seeing a kind of like a, a minute representation of actually what is a, a larger sum? Or really, is that number bigger and there are, you know, most enthusiast gamers are plugged in to the internet? Well, I think there's a spectrum. I mean, yes. there's there are definitely, you know, you can't draw a line and say, well, this person, you know, is not an enthusiast gamer because they don't read NeoGAF and this person is. Uh, you know, you could certainly be buying more than a handful of games a year and not be, you know, plugged into a lot of these sites. Or you could be buying just a few games but still be reading, you know, a lot of smaller blogs or whatever. You could just, you know, come on for... Uh, you know the intelligent conversation. So you know, I don't know if you can necessarily say that uh, you know it's finite to this number, and, and, and that's it. Yeah, I was going to say most of the uh, quote-unquote enthusiast gamers that I know do not go on the internet looking for conversation and don't really, you know, uh, participate in a lot of the things that, that San and I would do. But they, you know, do buy multiple games a year. They do keep track of what's going on in the industry. They do the lots of stuff. It's it's kind of you know, I mean. They're very passive, in other words. Yeah, I mean, they like to like, converse, like, to me about it, for example, like, to people that they know that play games, but they're not really going to go out there. Like, I just introduced one of my friends who, out of everyone that I know, he's probably the one that's most like me as far as buying games, as far as keeping up with the industry and stuff, and he had never heard of NeoGAF until the other day. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, uh, every gamer has these, you know, their own little likes, dislikes, tastes, you know, some people like this, some people like that. I don't really think we can classify to say, well, you know, most enthusiast gamers would do this because everyone's just so damn different. Okay. All right. Well, it's just that it's not something I invented. That's what I just described. It was not something I come up with. I must confess it was taken from, I think it was GFW Radio or might have been out of the game podcast i can't which one it's definitely sean elliott who's talking about this and i had to agree with him that i, I felt that he's he, he gets on seeing the same names crop up in various forums and i'm mm. seeing it myself sure and i'm just you know people who like myself i do go to forums the one i actually go to is uh, penny arcade more than anything i don't know why i just kind of like their their discourse there not i mean i also like the cartoons i know it's definitely a marmite cartoon you really really hate it or really, really like it uh but i like the satirical nature of the cartoons, so that's what led me to there but you know uh, whereas neogaf is well we all know what neogaf is like but it, it, it has its own little way of doing things and how it reports on things um but it's it's a very sort of and, and Rollmark as well, which is the stem from the edge. And, it, 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 you know, everyone also assumes, like, oh, everyone reads the edge, right? No. <laughs> um, some people hate the edge before it because it's to sew up its own rear end, but some, some people think that anyway. Well, 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 here's the thing, is that the forums themselves, I mean, just in all topics, are pretty, pretty niche, you know. Well, there's tons of people use the Internet, but a lot of people just have no interest in the forums, or they'll just lurk, and yeah. they right. won't necessarily right. participate. So, I mean, I don't know if you can use, you know, forum participation as a metric for, mm. you know, whether you're an enthusiast or how, how enthusiast you are. I don't, I don't really visit uh, gaming forums. I mostly stick to comment sections and blogs and that kind of thing. Mm. I mean, maybe a better metric is maybe considering the, the numbers of people who visit the larger gaming sites, like GameSpot and 1UP and uh, whatever, you know, some of the more established long-running sites. Because I, I remember before I really got into internet conversation or, you know, uh, forums, podcasts, whatever, I was going to GameSpot regularly. So, mm. I mean, maybe that's 
I, I'm not saying, again, I, I completely agree with you guys. It's a spectrum, and to draw a line is ridiculous. And I, I, maybe I'm, I'm concerned that that point, which I think is correct, maybe makes this conversation a little bit defunct, in that we are just kind of turning in on ourselves and going, whoa, what the juice, what's going on? You know, um, I mean, is it is it relevant, really? Do you think, even if the number is, this is going a bit too far ahead in the conversation, but even if it is really a minute number of people now who are regularly going on forums, is it maybe not an argument that it's the start of something that's going to get bigger and bigger over time? I think it will increase in size. I think it's constantly increasing in size because the, the games and video games and, and, and interest in them is in, increasing, hopefully, exponentially. Is it exponential? might be linear. I don't know. Either way, it's increasing. And with that, so I don't think it's, yeah, that, that's not a worry, I don't think. I'm not raising a concern. I'm not raising a flag going, hey, fellows, we're only preaching to about 60,000 people. Um, I think it's, it, it, it will and it does grow. Um, I don't think communities are eating themselves right. so much. So, yeah, and, and I think that ideas generated in a forum or you know, on Twitter or some you know, small section, subsection uh, of the gamer audience tend to propagate out. Um, sure. you know, you'll see an idea in NewGap kind of get, get pushed out to a wider audience. So, I think looking at Twitter, how much that's grown as far as video game talk goes over the past couple of months or years, I mean, that's a really good example because, you know, I personally don't visit that many forums and I kind of just lurk when I do. Uh, most of my game talk actually happens through Twitter now, just talking to people that are playing other things and, and you know, sharing what I've been playing with everyone. And I think that, you know, like that's just going to continue to grow and people are just going to continue to meet other gamers through that. And from there, other things will blossom, I would assume. The cycle for me, I have to agree with the Twitter thing, is I'll find someone say, I've done this blog post about such and such. I look at the blog post and make a comment against the blog post if I find it interesting. And that's what's quite sure. common. There's my normal conversation. I find comments under blog posts, depending on the blog poster and the audience, are usually quite intelligent. and You can actually get a lot of feedback, far more. In fact, sometimes you get more information from the comments than the blog post <laughs> itself. Because <laughs> you, you get all these corrections, like, oh, no, have you seen this? Have you seen this? And like, Actually, yeah, and a lot of times I've seen news stories on MCV or something when I'm doing a review, when I'm doing research for my for my news podcast, and like, oh look, all this stuff happened. Oh, actually, it actually happened, and that's, that's so. Uh, yeah, forums are a, the whole point of a forum. Its aim is normally to bring people together to let them discuss similar topics. That's the whole point of a forum. Whereas a blog post is more of a um, someone making a presentation and if you're making comments against that presentation I kind of prefer that that discussion more than just oh look this game's kind of cool what do you mm. think I mean to bring it to bring it full circle I guess things like Uncharted 2 featuring Twitter updates that is going to bring people who don't normally use things like Twitter and forums and whatever into games chatter you know on the internet uh, so sure. <laughs> clearly you know the developers want that to happen uh, we know we, we know that there are other developers certainly considering Twitter updates for their games. So I think we can safely say it is it is going to increase, and I think that does kind of hopefully validate this conversation. So <laughs> uh, podcast isn't invalid. We can continue. <laughs> I mean, obviously, with, with the internet, it's not just conversation that's changed it. It's journalism and it's coverage. And, you know, things like uh, Chris's show and uh, Jared's website 
just wouldn't exist, obviously. Um, how do you think games coverage has changed since really the internet became big? And, and like to maybe get more specific on that, do you think games coverage has changed for the better or for the worse with the advent of the internet? Really, has it changed that much? It's probably changed in some aspects that are pretty obvious, the fact the immediacy of it all, the short-termism of everything, where you can throw up an article make some corrections while the article is up and still keep it current, whereas in a magazine article, it's there for, for, for eternity. That's it. You made, your, you made your comment, you made your opinion, you made your statement. There it is. You know, suck it up. Um, on the, the similar side of things, I want to talk about a, a, a theory I have, is that you know there are a lot of websites out there that write about video games, reviewers, game reviewers, and a lot of podcasts. Like, like Super Happy Fun Time Show, like, like Big Blue Question, of course, like uh, Game of Dork, Joypod, etc. We all listen to them. And you could argue that, hang on, you look at objectively, stand outside and look from the outside in and go, they're all talking about the same blasted thing. They are. Talking, he's talking about FIFA 10. Oh, look, he's talking about FIFA 10. Why, are they all talk, why would anyone want to listen to this? It's People want to listen, and this is a bit of an ego boosting, but, or egotistical, you could argue, but it's because the people want to know what that person thinks. That person, they want to know what that particular person thinks about that particular game. That's generally what's happening. And that's what's happened back in the day, back in, I don't know, back in 1982 when Newsfield Publications did Crash Magazine and Zap64. I'm going way back now, so forgive me. But they had separate reviewers. And they had little portraits of those reviewers. And those reviewers made arguments about why they're reviewing and saying what they think about that game. And certain readers said, I trust his judgment over his judgment. And I think that's still the same back in 1982 as it is now, although it's far more personality-driven now than it ever was before. Yeah, well, you've thrown a lot of points out there. Something I want to say first is that, um, you know, it goes to what I was saying before, that the Internet is a great place for niches. And, um, you know, in the old days, I guess... Enthusiast magazines were enthusiast magazines, and that was it. It was very preview-based, review-based, and and a lot of that's still happening now. But you can also find, you know, podcasts and talking about talking about the, these little details, talking about social, uh, you know, social networking's impact on gaming. Or you can find, uh, like you said, talk, people talking about whether you know what turret uh, scenes in video games work the best, or whether they have any validity at all. And, and you don't really you didn't really see that in enthusiast magazines of the old. So I think in that since uh, it has changed for the better, um, as far as as far as um, right. So people, so people, and, and people eat that stuff up, and it happens in in all kinds of, of journalism, not just game journalism. Is that you know that's a very it's a lucrative business. And speaking from experience, just being able to you know share your opinion on things, people love that more so than just the straight breaking news itself. Um, so. I don't know if that's necessarily a change for the positive, um, but I, I guess it is. I mean, the idea of being able to have conversations instead of just taking the news from top down is, is uh, yeah, I'd say that's overall more positive than negative. That's the thing. Like, in the old days, there was, what, maybe five or six magazines in the U.S. that covered games, and pretty much everyone would get their news and information from those five or six sources. And the conversations that would happen were basically, oh, did you see the review of this? Yeah, it, was, it sounds real good. I want to get that game. Like, there was really no, you know, in-depth conversation about it because it was just, well, I trust this magazine because I buy it every month, and I'm going to listen to what they say. But now it's, 
you know, there's literally thousands of different sources that you can look to for information and news. You can comment on each of those. You can talk directly with many of the participants in those sites. There's just there's no limit to what you can do now with in, as far as games journalism, as far as games talk goes. So it's kind of just uh, the, the new form of game journalism is just that you know, everything that was existing in the old days has just been blown so far open that there's really no limits to what you can do now. And, you know, every little person, instead of just interacting with the people that they work with or that they go to school with, they have, you know, millions of other people on forums to talk to about these things and to learn about stuff from. I mean, I think a lot of people learn the news from other people, you know, from forums and thing, not, not from like a news feed on a website. And people learn more stuff that way. Stuff that they miss, they pick up through, you know, talk, basically. All the major outlets now, what they do now, whether it's Game Informer, the more traditional magazines, or whether it's GameSpot, or whether it's you know, IGN, what they have now is something called exclusivity. <laughs> That's what they get. There's there's now a hierarchy within the gaming media, which has been in existence for a very long time, but now it's really, really rigidly structured and controlled that, you know, uh, the the people like IGN, the people like, you know, the usual suspects, GameSpot, etc., will gain access, to, very, very early access to, to games and stuff because those outlets have a phenomenally vast audience vast audience and that from that you know it covers the whole spectrum there's that word again and from that they're they're the ones that get that they get the so that's what they have now that's their they have time they have exclusivity they have that long period of exclusivity we actually opened up this discussion about exclusivity um partisan in a way because we're talking about how Jeff Keighley was, was, was banging on about his Twitter feed and he was playing Char- Uncharted 2, a game that none of us here have actually played properly anyway. Well, I haven't been at E3 and stuff, but, you know, and it's, that's what they get now. That's, that's, what, that's how it's changed now. They get exclusivity. They get that window of time that the regular schmo, like the like works of us, do not get on the whole. What's interesting is that they're still covering the same things. I mean, right. exclusive or not, it's still the same format, you know, review-driven, preview-driven, you know, yep. your, your listy kind of features. Yep. So it hasn't really, you know, in terms of the major outlets, hasn't really changed that much since the old days. If we go to maybe those the second tier of websites, and I'm thinking really the high-profile news blogs like uh, Kotaku and Joystick and Destructoid, and this goes to Chris's point of... Uh, regurgitating information and hearing the same thing across the board. I mean, that, that's a, a well-discussed problem with these news blogs. That, and, of course, it's kind of by default. Everyone is, you know, that's the way news works. Everyone's reporting the same news. But obviously someone reports it first and then it gets regurgitated. What more concerns me about, not concerns me, but I think is more relevant maybe to this discussion with the news sites, and especially something like Kotaku, you get, and to go to that word again, really niche stories coming through those things like some figurine of some character who no one except someone who's played every single game in that series has heard about comes out and there's a there's a whole article about it and you know those sites are not you know not uh, doing badly for ratings they're getting hit a lot so it's i think you'll find they're actually more they're actually more traffic than the more mainstream now Right. It's hard, hard to believe, but it is actually true. I do remember seeing a GameSpot journalist twittering about, oh, well, we got a mention in Joystick. Like, oh, GameSpot. Exactly. But he was he was jumping up and joy, going, we've got a mention in Joystick. Like, but you're... Ga- oh, yeah, sorry, what am I thinking? But that was a real... <laughs> it was just like, I was like, I can't believe he was crowing about he was getting a, he's, he's one of his arseholes getting highlighted in, in, in Joystick. But actually, no, that makes absolute 100% perfect sense. You know, they are 
they're not the kingpins. They're not second tier. They used to be. You're right, but yeah, not anymore. Not anymore. What I like about those sites is that they use their infinite space in really great ways. Um, you know, they can talk about those those uh, those small details, or they can do the kind of feature story that you wouldn't that that wouldn't necessarily get space in a print magazine. Mm. Um, example being a uh, recent recent profile of Bobby Kotick in Kotaku. Uh, was Lee Alexander wrote that, and it was you know it's. I don't know if you would see in, in one of the major magazines, you know, a, a profile, one of the, not, not inter- interview driven, just a story. Uh, she didn't even get an interview with him. It was just her talking about, you know, the various issues and the controversies that he's raised and spoke to people off the record who would work for him and things like that. And that's, that's really great. And then you see think pieces as well um, that are, you know, about an interesting topic. And I, I just really like what they're doing with the fact that, if you don't like that story, you can just keep going right past it. But if you do, then suddenly you're finding a lot of new value there that you wouldn't necessarily get from somewhere else. I mean, yes, where else would you find a story about a full-size Gundam being built in the middle of a, a, a Japanese <laughs> park <laughs> than in Joyce? Was it Joyce? No, it's Kotaku did that. Uh, one of my co-hosts on my show, they, he loves Gundams. He just has this strange obsession with them. And when he found out about this, he was screaming, it works! It works! Said, no, it doesn't work. It just lights up with steam coming out. It did light up with steam coming out. <laughs> he goes, no, it's fully functioning. I said, no, it is not fully functioning. <laughs> and he was planning to steal it because he wanted it desperately. But sadly, it's no, longer, no, no more. It's only up for about three months and then dismantled it. Only in Japan, my friends. And indeed, only in Kotaku would they actually say... And it, it was just hyperbole throughout. This is just made of awesome, etc., etc. It's just extraordinary. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's great that we get... That I, I applaud them for that, absolutely. Well done, Joystick. But they, are, they, they present themselves as being amateurish. They, they're wonderful, don't they? But they are far, Why do you, say, why do you say that? I don't know. They, they, the layout, the whole rolling blog sort of system, it looks very much like a... And the, and the name of it, and the fact that they are always doing some very strange things. To, I mean, their, their photos, for example. I remember there, there was this, um, there was this bit where they went on for a couple of days. It didn't go on for weeks. A couple of days where they kept on having a photo of the dead space, dead space, dead space girl. She was always there, just constantly That's there, and it, was, and it was just like, and it was any news story, anything. It was as if they were flipping the bird to all the PR companies, everyone. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Everyone comes to us, what are you going to do? Are you Are going to scream at us, putting Dead Space Girl on your Guitar Hero icons? Yeah, what are you going to do? You know, and that's... But so, you know. Is, isn't that what people want, though? I mean, isn't that taking <laughs> taking perfect advantage of what the Internet does? It's, you know, it's more... It's not so much like... I mean, Dead Space Girl, whatever. But, you know, it's more like this is a community. This is where you come to sort of read about news and have it feel personal as opposed to the old way of, you know, this is our magazine, this is our review, you're going to like it, you're going to read it, and, and that's it. We don't want to hear from you after that. So I think it's, you know, it's, it embodies the Internet. Blogs in general embody what the Internet is in a really great way. I don't really think it's amateur at all. No, no, it, it presents itself. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it is. Please don't think about it. But it, 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 there's a, I'm not saying a, a negative point. I'm trying to say it's more, it's like we're one of you. You know, we're just like I was one of say you. The word impersonal. impersonal. It's, it's very impersonal yeah. writing yeah. and presentation, um, which you, you know, IGN still feels quite formal to me when right. you're on that website. It still feels like a, a games website made by professionals. That's we're, and, and we're better than you. That has been edited uh, and edited 
and then edit it again. You know, yeah. that, that six pair of eyes have seen that article before it went up, possibly. And and whereas, you know, in Joystick, you probably had half a glance before it went throwing up. Oh, our mistake, sorry, we'll just tweak that. You know, and it just, it, you know, but what I'm trying, it gives over that impression that it is very personable. That's it, that's the better word. But really, it's personality. It's, right. it is very the, much, the, it is very much a corporate site, just as much as IGN, just as much. Don't think it isn't. It's owned by Disney, God's sake. <laughs> so, you know. Right, but that's 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 the that's the accomplishment there is that they've made it seem very personal. Uh, you know, I, I, and I don't think amateur is the right word. No, it's not. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Is good because you know they've made it into a very lucrative business. You know, simply because it seems that way. It seems like a personal thing, and, and people like that. Um, it's the same reason that that people like commentary and they like to know what people think about things instead of just the straight news. Is that there's there's personality to it. Right. Well, to get back to what Chris said, which I, you know, I. We, I would like to see the figures, to be honest, but I, I, I suspect you're probably right that Kotaku uh, is now getting as much traffic as any of the, of the mainstream sites like uh, IGN, GameSpot, whatever. I mean, that in itself suggests that the mainstream wants... Uh, sorry, not the mainstream, the enthusiasts who are using the internet want real enthusiast press. You know, seriously enthusiast press. something for everyone. From the serious analysis of Big Red Potion to the firm but well-informed GamerDork UK. GamerDork, 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 GamerDork. Find like-minded comment. Keep your hobby alive. Gaming bargains to help keep your hobby alive. was one of the best and friendliest communities on the internet. And if you're one of us mature gamers, find like-minded comment. about conversation on the internet, particularly on Twitter, particularly on forums, is that there's this feeling of a clique. If you haven't played game A, game B, and game C, then you're not welcome in my club. That's that's the, the impression I get from, especially from forums on the internet. And I don't know if that's just the way every enthusiast group is, or if that's how gaming enthusiasts are. I mean, am I just? is it just a case of I'm in this particular enthusiast group and that's how it feels? What sources specifically do you think that because for the most part, the ones that I've gone to have kind of been very welcoming of, of new people, as long as you kind of know what you're doing and don't spam the forums with something stupid. Most people are kind of willing to accept people into their groups. You see, now you're calling me, you're calling me out to get me in trouble and, and name it. No, I'm just trying to wonder. I, I'm, I'm not... Like, not... NeoGAF, obviously. I mean, if you go on there and say, I think Super Mario Bros. is the greatest game in the world, new post. I mean, you're going to get ripped up into a billion pieces, but it, I don't know if, you know... I don't know. Like besides the fact that you can't join NeoGAF unless you have a, a GamePro.com email address or something like that. But what? What? Um, like, is there any specific sources that you think that you feel like uh, the the clicks uh, act up and don't really welcome new people? 
I mean, I guess what I would go to then is, is a news blog, actually, in some ways, feel kind of cliquey. In the way that it, I don't know, I mean, I guess you can't have it both ways, can you? You can't have an enthusiast, uh, an enthusiast press site and want it to feel mainstream in some way. Um, but clearly that's what most people who are interested in games want, and I think there's something to be said about that. It's hard for us to look on the outside in because, we've, well, certainly speaking for myself, we've been so entranced within it for so many years that it's hard to put yourself in the shoes of someone who is interested in games but sees the culture that surrounds it and gets intimidated by it. I think this is what we're leading to. Um, and uh, how to reach out to those and say, it's okay, these people aren't mad, but they're talking about turrets in video games. I know, but really, they're not mad. Um, it's, 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 it is hard to, to reach out to them and to say it's... Yeah, that's, that's, that's my point on that. Isn't it? It's, it's to, to reach out to those people who are interested in video games but sees the culture as being a bit... Uh, very, very, very cliquey and very sort of uh, prior knowledge. It's all about, oh, you know what World of Warcraft, you know what RTS means, don't you? You know what a turn-based strategy game is, don't you? Or you know what a, a god sim is, don't you? No. Right. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, we've just... Uh, I, I was listening to you talking on uh, a Super Happy Fun Time show about Gameswipe, uh, Chris. Oh, yes. Which is the, uh, the BBC4 show that uh, aired this week, um, presented by Charlie Brooker, who some people will know wrote for PC's own back He did indeed. And a uh, very, very funny column, which I really, really enjoyed. But, um, you know, he, he went through that whole show explaining genres. And, you know, he tweeted earlier in, in the week that the show was aimed at the non-gamer, or at least partly aimed at the non-gamer. I read the Guardian blog's comment section uh, talking about Games Wipe. And there were people saying, why is he talking about genres? Why is he explaining any of this to anyone? Why isn't this aimed at me? And clearly, this 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 kind of where this uh, it, it's good timing in a way because this is exactly what I'm trying to get at with this conversation. I feel like there's something inherent about the gaming community that wants to keep it to itself. We get annoyed at the idea of casual games. We get annoyed at the idea of the Wii. We get annoyed at, at, at Gameswipe, which I actually thought was you know did quite a good job of towing the line. I mean, um, I, I, I'm guessing Joe and Jared, you haven't you didn't get a chance to see this uh, since it uh, it's only up on YouTube now, but. Uh, you know, a good parallel for you guys is stuff like the Spike TV Awards and uh, and G4. I mean, how how does how do Americans feel about those kind of? Uh, well, my understanding is that they're totally, you know, my understanding is that Game Swipe was like a pretty thoughtful approach to things. Right. Whereas I've I've never really held Spike TV's Game Awards in very high <laughs> regard. So no, uh, no. So yeah, it's like I almost feel like those those give gaming a very bad name. Uh, whereas, um, you know. Game Swipe maybe doesn't. Like I said, I haven't seen it. Um, and sorry to everyone at Spike TV for saying that. But, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, and it's what it is. It's just, it's just very much, uh, it's very mainstream to a fault, you know? Well, that's the thing. Like, Game Swipe was obviously conceived by someone who loves games and is into games and wants to present games to other people, whereas the Spike TV Awards were literally to make money. Right. Like they, the, you know, they, they picked real journalists to pick the winners. They did pick like someone from Joystick, someone from Kotaku, someone from IGN, whatever. But the uh, the actual like show, the, the writers and everything, they have no clue what they were doing. They were just writing crap that they assume video gamers like. Um, and like G4 is a really interesting example to use here because G4 a couple of years ago was the hardcore, was appealing to the hardcore gamers. They had like a special about how like Monkey Island was created. And how, you know, Eco, they had like a special about Eco when it came out, like stuff like that. They did stuff that would only appeal to the dedicated gamers, and 
of course, that didn't last long because I assume not enough people watched it and it failed and now it's become this kind of like mainstream slash technology channel. Right. And like, yeah. I think I actually loved G4. In, yeah, me too. You know, I used to watch early stages. I used to watch every single show that was on it. There's this show Icons where they basically picked a, a person who was important in the industry and told you their life story and it was done so well. And now Icons does yeah. movie directors, I believe. Um, <laughs> and yeah. They did, they did one of those on Pac-Man. Yeah. It was really great. Mm-hmm. You know? They did one of the... And I didn't, I didn't know before that that you could beat Pac-Man. That was, that was the first <laughs> time I realized that. So just, this is a point of note. I want to raise this because you might not be... Maybe you are, so forgive me if I'm caught talking down a bit. But BBC, it's the BBC4 program. So it's funded by license fee money. So BBC were not seeking ratings. They barely are because they're publicly funded by the license fee. The, the TV license fee that we have to pay here in order to own the television. I know, bizarre as it sounds, but there it is. So that means that its, it's modus operandi is very different. Then BBC4 is an arts channel. Specifically, it's about culture and the arts and that sort of thing. And it's doing a special at the moment about digital gadgets and how they've influenced British culture. GameSwipe is about is a part of that season of shows. That's why it was aired this week because they are doing a huge special on on, on gadgets or headless of what he said. So bearing that in mind, you can see why the show is what it is. It's how it's presented, how it is written. I thought it was brilliant. There were some flaws in it, of course there is not perfect, but it was Way, way better than I've ever seen anything on video games ever before on television. Particularly in this country. Yes, I sincerely believe that. I, I, it was nothing I've ever seen before about video games. Because normally people doing presentations about video games on mainstream television, especially the BBC, they just don't get it because normally people presenting it have absolutely no interest in what they're talking about. Right. I mean, this, he actually went through this on the show. You know, he, he went through the history of video game television uh, and, and its relationship between uh, gaming and television and basically uh, a lot of clips of uh, news nights <laughs> saying how terrible video games are, which, uh, you know, is accurate. That's pretty much how it's been in this country. For the last, and I, I expect, in fact, I know it's, that's the case it has been in America for the last tw- yep. 20 or so years. So the thing that I... I what I wrote in my post, and I don't know if you'll agree, Chris, what I really liked about it is that it was clearly, not just partly, I think mostly aimed at the non-gamer. But it had, it was full of knowing winks to the gamer. Like things like the references to Flower and Braid and Rayplay, and you're just there going, oh, I, I trust this guy because these are the games that people should be talking about. And it was terribly current. Right. Because that's the tricky part of video games. We all know that things change from mm. week to week. Right. Very quickly. Day to day sometimes. They just change. Uh, and for him to actually highlight, and he listed all these games out, and he was playing Wolfenstein, which is a very young game. Mm. And he was talking, he was highlighting that game. And the way he did that, was, I thought, was quite amusing, but we digress there. Uh, he, he did that, and he talked about, like I said, Braden and, and Flower and that sort of thing. So, yeah, he kept it current, because he had to. He had to. And that's the challenge for a video game, um, any, any video game coverage. It has to be extremely current, otherwise it looks dated and turns into a retro article. <laughs> right. This makes me wonder if, um, you know, if PBS and uh, NPR should be doing more game coverage. And I say that not being fully aware of how much they're already doing, um, but, you know, maybe that's a problem, right, is that, you know, they, those are 
you know, it's the same idea. They're not necessarily driven by by ratings and, and advertisers and things like that. Um, you know, they simply they rely heavily on you know groups of people uh, to support them. And you know, maybe they could sort of embrace this this niche uh, of enthusiast gamers. I, I implore you both to watch mm. this. Though. I do implore you both to watch it. You do so, have to watch it. I, I think. I, I think it. it oh, sorry, no, you do. No, I was going to say real quick that I think that a lot of people, at least within our age group, aren't really watching as much television as we used to. We're kind of looking to the internet for this type of entertainment. Like, look at the co-op show and how, you know, accepted that's been. I mean, that's kind of the best example of a video game TV show that we're going to get, and that's kind of all we want, I would think. I think the thing with the co-op show um, would sell people to go look at forum conversations around this, because it's in, it, everyone who's talked about games, why inevitably the conversation has, has gone towards the co-op show, mm-hmm. and why isn't the co-op show on some kind of mainstream television? Right. And the thing with the, the co-op show is that it, it, it's like Kotaku on, <laughs> on your TV. It's incredibly enthusiast. Uh, sure. I'm not saying it's a badly produced show and all that it's up itself in any way. It, you just go in, you have to go into it with some kind of knowledge. You can't just go into it going, I, I've never played a game, but this is going to be interesting to me. It's, it's just it, not how it's going to work. Yeah, the thing yeah. is, there is, like a, there is a gardening network on U.S. cable television. And you know, there is... A, you know, Discovery Channel shows some incredibly niche things about very small topics that only certain people would be interested in. I mean, there is room for these type of shows. It just kind of takes like a network like G4 to have the balls to actually air it and hope that someone will watch it. And up until now, no one's really done it. Here's a question. Um, game Swipe. Did is it at all enlightening to gamers? I mean, you said that there's some some nods to you know people who are more enthusiasts, but if you're watching it as a gamer, do you really glean anything from it, or are you just sort of you know sitting there with a checklist saying like, okay, he talked about this, he talked about this, he did a good job talking about well, this. Well, one you know, thing he represented gaming well. I can I can say certainly that okay, it's it's a British um, thing. So when he talks about history. He talks about it from a British perspective. So I don't think once he mentioned the NES, did he? No. <laughs> no, he didn't mention it once, which is bizarre to an American. Like, video games, you're not talking about the NES? Lo- didn't. Lots of Amiga didn't. mentions. Amiga, ZX Spectrum, Amstrad, all of that, all over the shop. So for a cultural perspective, yes, you glean a lot of that. Like, Spectrum? What the? And he picks one up and shows you what it looks like and why it was so important. And it, it, he goes on a great length about the bedroom coder in the UK, because we weren't playing on the NES, we were making games on the Spectrum instead uh, back, that, back then. So that's, that, that, from that you can glean something. But there also, it does talk about the heritage of games as well. When he talks about each genre, he would generally go, well, it all started from there, or it all started from there. You know, mm. and it's like you know, it, it definitely was that. When when he was talking about beat 'em ups, he started off with a Spectrum game called The Way of Exploding Fist. Anyone outside the UK pretty much would not know what that was. <laughs> but for us in the UK, we think the first beat 'em up wasn't Street Fighter or One or it was that game. It was a kung fu game. Okay. So you. Because I yeah. want, I I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention this: the issue of. You know, the Lester Bangs of games, and mm. you know the things that you're talking about are more uh, historical things. Yes. You know, more like facts. Uh, but you know, we want to we want to be talking about opinions too, because like you said, that's something that people are really right. interested in. Uh, so how do you have how do you have somebody who can make commentary about video games that is intelligent and insightful both to the enthusiast gamer, uh, 
and the person who doesn't necessarily know as much and still won't be intimidated by what the person is saying. Well, well two points to that. Um, we've already had it. It's, it's called zero punctuation. Hmm. Um, and, 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 and <laughs> that, that may be true. And, you know, zero punctuation is obviously the guy who writes it, uh, Ben Yossi Croshaw, said he was inspired by Charlie Brooker, who produced this show. So uh, it's all kind of uh, inter, interspersed with each other. But the thing is, with I, I think Games Wipe had... <laughs> A, a bit of column A, you know, it had a bit of good opinions for the gamer and a lot of, oh my god, why are we talking about this? And I, I, it was, the good bits for the gamer came from when Charlie Brooker was talking about Wolfenstein. He, he played through the game and he cited errors that, okay, were kind of superficial, basic, but they were still accurate and right. You know, you were still there nodding with him and going, yep, you're right, this game has these problems and it's, and it's uh, an issue. And then it was the guest spots. I don't know whether you'd agree with me on this, uh, Chris, but uh, having I've, you know Dara Breen talk about Gears of War, and he made a good point in in about content, but he it the dressing of Gears of War and talking about the Berserker was not interesting and made me sort of think I don't can't really identify with you as a gamer. You are clearly not the same kind of person as I am. He's also fantastically inept. Yes, rubbish. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he didn't know what to do, and he also called it. Him. We all know it's a female. But oh, right, yes, yes. Uh, there, you go. Uh, <laughs> there you go, going back to the turrets at the beginning of the show. Um, but no, I, he was doing it for comedy sure. effect, I think. Uh, I, he was just trying to do it to illustrate a point, and the fact he was talking about, you know, it didn't make much sense, there was three halls and that sort of thing. He was just being comedian, because that's what they do. They fluff things up, they, they paint things up, paint, paint a picture, and then go, here, here's your punchline. Hey, you know, I'm too much of an idiot. And the fact that he was talking about how when you're reading a book, that doesn't test you halfway through the book, say, okay, you know, what characters can you glean from this? And how would you interpreted this passage? Sure. And if you get it wrong, oh, fail. You have to start from start again, which is what video games do. Video games, he was saying, deny you content unless you're good enough to get through. He's it's right. A good, it's a good <laughs> point. Absolutely. It's, I, I, I just maybe, maybe, you know, maybe that's that's the the grey area where I'm just not sure and uh, you know whether it, is it can I get anything for this for myself or is it I just it, 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 I preferred say the Charlie Brookovitz just personally just to go back to the way Jared phrased that question like <laughs> 10 minutes ago are you there as a gamer with a checklist noting all these things and saying everything's wrong that's my point about the way the gamer is the enthusiast gamer is we have this checklist you know, we are. I, that, I just think we are really cliquey, and I, I, I go back. I know, I know what Chris said that it's difficult when you're looking from the inside. Having said that, talking to you know, there, there, there must be more to gaming beyond its violence and its its novelty that has kept it from being part of the mainstream. Or maybe um, not. <laughs> yeah, no, we we uh, opened a can of worms. <laughs> yeah, it's it's generational as well because. You know, as it was again going back to Gameswipe, because it did come out lots of points in that uh, Charlie Brooker's hypothesis was that in early 1990s, video games suddenly become recognisable, because up until then there were weird blocks that sure. had bleeps and bloops all over it, certainly for the Tide 2600 and other machines of similar ilk. But suddenly in the early 90s, when the Mega Drive Stoke Genesis arrived, and indeed the snares, of course there was recognisable characters on the screen, but they're all very cartoony. And they became a toy. You know, they're very much a toy. And they've stuck in the realm of toy for that, you know, the parents of that generation. And they still think that video games are fundamentally 
toys. Let's think about the word video games. Right. It's a toy. It's a toy. So that's why we have, you know, Australians only playing solitaire and Hello Kitty online adventure. You know, it's the only games they can play because they're the generation that's currently in power in that country, or one man apparently, says no. It's a toy. It, it can affect children. It affects their behaviour. We, we, you know, we can't have them, you know, ban the sick filth, etc. We're just going to wait for them to die. That's, that's only. <laughs> That's only part of the equation, though. Yes, that, I, I would agree with you there, but it's also a question mm. of accessibility. Okay. You know, look at the Wii. It makes games accessible to people. One of the things that I hear most from people who don't play games is just they are too complicated these days uh, with all the right. buttons and all the things you have to do. Uh, you know, There's something to be said for simplicity, and uh, I don't think you can ignore that when you're looking at why uh, games aren't as much mainstream, especially you know the kinds of games that enthusiast press covers. And is there an argument that that's tied into the internet conversation? <laughs> um, well, you know, you've talked about the casual shift and whether it's uh, bringing in new gamers. And uh, yes, but it's still keeping them apart from, you know, the enthusiast group because the casual crowd doesn't, still doesn't necessarily care about the minutia in the way that, that we do. I'm not, I'm not sure if we've... I feel like we've, we've established that gaming is still largely inaccessible to the mainstream and that no one has really found a way beyond maybe... Gameswipe, zero punctuation, which is still, I'm sure, like we would call that niche rather than anything beyond. I mean, it gets incredible ratings, we know that, but I suspect it's uh, most of the people on NeoCAF. You know, like, like <laughs> that, that's who's watching zero punctuation. I mean, I could watch it with my girlfriend and, and my housemate, uh, former housemate, who both don't really play games and they will laugh their heads off, but I've told mm. them to watch it. So, you know, I feel like we've, we've answered that question that there's still things for gaming to overcome to become more accessible to the mainstream. I don't know if we've brought an internet conversation and social networking into it in particular. I mean, is is Twitter, just to get back to Twitter, really, because I think it's now becoming the the accepted mainstream social networking site. Is that fair? Sure. Yes. No, that's a valid statement. That, that and Facebook. More Facebook more than Twitter, actually. Okay. So that, yeah, I would agree. Facebook more than Twitter. Let's, let's, let's say both then, Facebook and Twitter, as, as the two leading mainstream social networking sites. Are they making the problem worse or better are they solving the problem is <laughs> a better way of so what's the that. problem <laughs> the problem the inaccessibility I, of gaming all oh, right you know what i think they'll ease it quite a bit because like for me uh, just in a recent example last week i posted uh, on my facebook about how i like dead space extraction and someone that i've never actually talked to about games in my life one of my my childhood friends uh responded to it and he's like oh is that game good is it worth 50 bucks like you know in a way, like I think that people that you know, just because they go on Facebook and they add all these people that they know, I think they'll hear about games a little bit more that way. Whereas that same person would never go on a forum and would never check out a website or anything like that, but they'll hear about it in all new ways that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. I think that's the problem with a lot of people. A lot of people that you know they go out and they buy Madden and they buy Gears and they buy you know something like Halo. I think you know if if those people, if somehow the the developers of other games were able to reach that group and you know, tap into the the, the games that they like and get them to know about their game. Like Left 4 Dead kind of did that last year. People, the word of mouth got Left 4 Dead out there and a lot of people picked it up. And I think that maybe Facebook and Twitter is a way to open the door to those people and let them find out about some other cool stuff out there that they should be checking out. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because, you know, Facebook is sort of this connection point with people that you know and not just, not just your enthusiast gamer buddies. And maybe it's just the way I use it, but I tend to use Twitter more in the professional context and, you know, I follow you guys and 
follow other game journalists and, and you know game makers and that kind of thing. Um, whereas Facebook for me tends to be more personal. I have my friends on there, you know, for real sure. real life, so to speak. Uh, um, so yeah, it, it 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 functions in a different way, um, and you can you can you could kind of use it to open people up to uh, conversations about gaming that they might not have been having. Okay, to extend that question, because so, I think social networking encompasses more than just the social networking sites. I think it encompasses forums, it encompasses uh, podcasts like uh, Super Happy Fun Time Show, and uh, to some extent the mainstream sites now. Like you know, not just that they have Twitter accounts, that they and that they have podcasts. It's just everything is more interconnected now. There's a, a uniformity about internet games coverage. Everything is connected to everything. So let's extend that question. Uh, has is the internet going to make the gaming enthusiast and the and the uh, the non gamer more interconnected? Well, here's something because we were talking about something before we recorded fourth wall stuff. Sorry, but I was talking about how you can you know, get Sky on Xbox 360. So there's a, there's a bit of crossover right. there, isn't there? There's a device which is purely a gaming device. One could argue. Uh, but it can do other things. I think the PS3 is more like that. But anyway, by the by. Um, so all of a sudden, you're going to get people who are going to be using their 360s to record TV shows and, and that sort of thing and to watch live television and also with their friends because it has a live party mode with it as well. So there's a little bit of crossover. And it's the same with Netflix as well. All of a sudden, you can watch Netflix, you can watch films on your with friends as well. And there's that crossover. So uh, I, I did certainly think that it's going to aid... Uh, connectivity, um, or certainly aid the spread of, of video games, whether they be a Sudoku simulator or World of Warcraft or indeed um, FIFA 10, doesn't matter. Okay, here's, here's a final question because I think I think we we are we're starting to go a little, a little bit around in circles. Uh, as, as as happens on this show, occasionally every <laughs> single show, whatever. Um, what are you talking about? <laughs> final question then: Do we actually want the enthusiast and the non-enthusiast to be closer to each other. Do we want the spectrum to get narrower? I do. Like I, I, I like the idea of um, you know people being more connected to you know these these good conversations that people are having about gaming. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but uh, I, I would want it to happen, uh, provided that it doesn't become this thing where you know suddenly everybody wants to appeal to the lowest common denominator and and the, conversation sort of devolves um but i don't think that's going to happen and if, if more people want to jump in uh that maybe hadn't before that that'd be great i think as long as more games don't start doing what uncharted did because the last thing i want is my cousins and distant relatives putting i just beat level five in uncharted 2 today in their facebook feeds and their twitter feeds i think that as long as they stay away from the annoyances of that um that you know getting everyone in the game and Getting everyone on the same level would be great, and I think that it's just bound to happen just based on the fact that pretty much everything that we buy or do or see today has some type of connectivity with it. I think the social acceptability of playing video games is the end result that I want to see. I, I don't want to see it to be a pariah and say, oh, what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you do for to relax? And the, the standard responses to that, the acceptable responses to that were read a book, watch films, go for a walk maybe... And then you mumble under your breath, 
play video games. Uh, yeah, and, and also, you know, they're still... And I just want to get over that. And I think we are now very much certainly speaking to people at work and that sort of thing. And every now and again, people will come up to me and go, Chris, you know about games, don't you? I guess. And then they start listing off, was well, this game any good? Is this any good? And like, oh, no, don't get that. Oh, that's good. And so that's it's definitely turning around. So that's what I'm wanting to see. So the, the, if it becomes more, you know, if it becomes more wider, it gets a wider audience, wider, wider audience, I'm all for it. But as long as it doesn't end up with a dumbing down of what we all love and enjoy, I don't want to see the end to the, the niche games right. that we all love. But I don't think it's going to happen. It can't. Any media has its niche, and it's fine. It, it, we can we can cover all spectrums. Don't worry about it. You know, it doesn't hurt you that there's a Hello Kitty online adventure game. It doesn't hurt you. That's there's people like that. That's cool. It does kind of hurt me it. a little. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts me inside. And conversely, it doesn't hurt you that there's a World of Warcraft game out there. Just let it go. It's fine. You know, if people want to pay that thousand, that's fine. It's just it's, be accepted. Just be a bit more tolerant, and we'll be fine. So where can they find you, Chris? Where can people find you? Um, primarily, they can find me in kind of two places, really, Twitter and the web. The website really is, if you go to shfts.com, just, that's it. Just the word shiss without the I in it. It stands for Super Happy Fun Time Show. Um, I won't go into the history of why that was named that, but it was by my co-host, um, two years ago when we, we, we created the show and he was insistent that we call it that I said no we can't we can't we can't call it that but instead yeah, there it is it is now stuck but most people refer to us as SHFTS we're a podcast we're also a vidcast as well now and we do a, a weekly vidcast on like a commentary on people playing a video game and that's kind of fun and that, that's on YouTube as well it's Super Happy Fun Time Theatre 3000 it's taken the name very loosely to um, Mystery Science Theater 3000, but it doesn't take the doesn't take the, the yell at the game that they're playing. It's the person playing the game. So if they're being inept or being silly, they go, "What are you doing?" And it's it's, it's a nice little commentary. So, and it's something that we do. We're all in different parts of the world. I'm based in the UK. The other two fellows are in the US. So in order to do video, we come up with this solution, and I think it works quite well. Uh, I also do a UK gaming news podcast as well. So if those in the UK want a 15-minute, 10-minute podcast of me yabbering on about what's happened in the last week in Europe and UK specifically, then you know, grab that as well because it's it's a bit different. It doesn't talk; it's not the US-centric at all. It talks about you know release dates and games that come out in this country. Um, so there it is. I, I, oh, and the Twitter feed is Chris O'Regan. Chris O'Regan, no, no apostrophe. No apostrophe. O R E G A N. All one word. Fantastic stuff. I had listened to you on Gamerdork being very apologetic about the name. Uh, and I think it's a fantastic name. I don't know what your problem with it is. I a lot awesome. of people, a lot of people, have, it's like it's a Marmite name. Some people go, that's a great name. Uh, but some people like uh, others go, well, can we call it something else? And it's like, no, I, I actually, I, it's completely grown on me. But I get, most reaction I get is nine times out of I'll say nine times. I'll get a lot of reaction like, you call it that? <laughs> but if you think about it, if you listen to the show, it is very much a show. We are entertaining people. We don't go into discourse like we've done today. It's not like that. It's not that kind of show. We actually just, we are horsing around that sort of thing. But it is nonetheless, I like to think, entertaining and 
you know, we try to engage people. So I think I think you are being modest. I, you know, the shows I listen to, you guys do as much as you entertain. You do you do talk important stuff too. So uh, check it out at uh, shfts.com. Yep, fantastic stuff. Thanks again, Chris. Um, Jared, where can people find you all over the internet? Jared Newman of the internet. Where, oh. where can people find you? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, so on Twitter, uh, you'll find me at my name is the Pimp of Sound, uh, and that harkens to yes, I know that harkens to my uh, past life as a music major. Um, and my website is jarednewman.com. Uh, for games, I write about techno- uh, or I write for Technologizer. I'm sometimes in the Escapist, uh, and I've just started uh, a relatively new site called uh, Gamer Crave. Um, so we'll hope to have some more some more stuff going on there soon. Um, and thanks for what, what having was, me. Guys. Is it gamercrave.com? Yes, gamercrave.com. Very cool. Well, it's always a pleasure having you on, Jared. So uh, thank you once again. Thank you. Okay. And Joe, where, no, we know where we can find you, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Joe, any, any, any plugs or shout outs for this week? Uh, sure. Uh, go to uh, bigredpotion.com, uh, as always, because there's going to be, like, I've been stockpiling surpluses for the last few weeks. Uh, that's why there hasn't been any. So there's going to be a ton of them going up this week and a review of Katamari Forever. And uh, check out GamePro.com because I'm writing some stuff on there. Uh, GameProArcade.com, sorry. I'm not quite that big yet. And uh, the other <laughs> one is GameZone.com. I have my Dead Space review going up there. That game is real good. So check that out. I, I did tell you. You did tell me. I, w- I will bow down and tell you that you told me because that game is fantastic. There um, you go. Dead Space Extraction, this is, by the way. The one time Joe admits I'm right. Only. Okay. <laughs> Only time. Right. Let, let's close this thing up. So... I've been Sinan Kibber. I've been Joe Delia. And this has been Big Red Potion. We'll see you all next week. No, Ooh. Thursday, Tuesday. We'll Thursday. see you at some what? point. Hi. <laughs> Professional end to the show once again. We are nailing it every time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so wonderful. Yeah.